The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Master Qui-Gon, more to say, have you? With your permission, my master, I've encountered a virgence in the pod. A virgence, you say? Located around a game master? A Steven. His sessions have the highest concentration of radichlorians I have seen in a one-shot. It is possible he was conceived by the radichlorian. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this... Steven? I don't presume to. But you do! Revealed your opinion is... <laughs> I request the Steven to be interviewed, Master. Oh? Return on the dark times you request for him? Hmm? Hosting him was the will of the pod. I have no doubt of that. Bring him before us, then. Hello and welcome to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite puppet turned CGI for the theatrical release. And I'm Steve, your favorite bald member of the Jedi Council. We're not alone in the studio today. We've got one more. No, it's true. We have someone who hardly needs any introduction. Uh, he's appeared on this show once before. And honestly, more if you count, you know, pre-recorded segments, submissions, everything. Our guest today is Lil Literalist, the uh, a prominent member of the Swissy community, to say the least. His writings and commentary have been shared and enjoyed by virtually everyone. He's a moderator on the Discord, on the Reddit. I first came to know him by writing unprompted commentary and comparisons across various player options on the Swissy Wiki. His his uh, legacy goes far back into this new era of Swissy and. We're very grateful to have him again. Welcome, Stephen, also known as Lil Literalist. Well, to, way to bury the lead, by the way. He's also the the current head of programming on the Roll20 saga. Oh, my sheet. God. Yeah. It's brushed over one of my more favorite projects of yours, uh, Stephen. Uh, and I'm also your favorite example of a great Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's good. Oh, he's 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 mastered it. He's mastered it. You you got he's giving you a run for your money, Steve. It's true. It's true. He'll replace me uh, soon. Never probably. I mean, he's you're already the official unofficial <laughs> like editing team for the podcast. So, um, what are we talking about today? Any I, any Stephen can answer this question. <laughs> well, before the darkest summer, I wrote you guys an essay. And I sent it to you, and uh, Steve said, you know, I, I loved it, but we couldn't quite fit it in. And so I wrote a longer essay, and then I... <laughs> <laughs> in response, yeah. I, I wrote another essay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was on house rules, and I uh, posted it on uh, with some modifications on the subreddit and got some good comments on it, but uh, that was something that we haven't really talked about or heard a lot of on the podcast, at least not a dedicated portion. So I thought it was worth bringing Absolutely. up. Absolutely, That's a fair point. That's a fair point. He's giving me a run for my money now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, we decided that it was a, a, an excellent uh, wellspring of information, but it was something that didn't feel right to parrot your words back into your ear through the internet. 
and that it would be better to bring you on to defend your ideals in person, and like a gla- like a gladiator, you know. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> watching, you know. No, no stress. <laughs> no stress. Everyone's watching. All two of us. <laughs> this is my doctoral defense. I'm gonna link the Reddit post in the description because I it was a lovely read, so yeah. I recommend everyone do so. This is a sit down with your morning coffee and and read sort of thing. It's it may look intimidating at first, but uh, honestly, Stephen, it, it flows. Beautifully, you you structure things into logical arguments. It's it's formatted. That that's a big thing that I love with walls of text in the RPG community, as common as they are across every game, across every system. Um, even getting some people to use a period in the right place, <laughs> <laughs> or or at least capitalize their words properly, can can be a bit of a stretch. But you've got indentations, bullet points, headers. The whole shebang, it's all here. But even more important than the formatting, the content itself is is quite cogent and I think touches on a few areas that, that are absolutely worth discussing. Um, obviously, we, we both read it, Sam and I, and we have some couple thoughts to expand on, on the points that, that you made. Is there any, do we want to just a brief, do we want to do like a brief rundown of what, what it was kind of about? Because it was about, yes, we know, we all know what house rules are. House rules are... Yeah. Ways that you change the game at your table to fit either your play style or or appease some players or any sort of yeah make the system bend to your will with your mind and that sort uh, of specifically the house rules that I discuss in the post are for uh, changes to the rules. So, like I said, it's not when you know what you do when a die rolls off the table or if someone shows up late they have to bring pizza or something. I was literally going to say that. Holy shit! It's <laughs> <laughs> a good rule. It's it's not, uh, you know, making sure that everyone is working as a party and not more meta things. It is about this. This post is about changes to the rules and those other house rules are definitely things that you need to have. Uh, but I think that there is a separate discussion to have it to be had about the rules of the system. It's, it's good. And the best part about this this conversation you put up is that you, you very clearly defined what you were talking about with each term. Like you said, this, this dissertation is about changes to the rules, even though when we talk about house rules, we can you know, sometimes be referring to a great many things. Um, it's a frustrating part of, of online discussion of any topic, but especially RPGs where you know, these definitions come from these very insular groups and the community is an archipelago of, of all these different people who have these different you know, kind of traditions and definitions that that they keep to their circle and then when we come out of of those circles it can be difficult when someone is talking about house ruling when i think they mean home brewing because the distinction is you know almost trite but it can be important when we get really nitty-gritty like this do we want to read the description of a house rule from the core rule book even though it's not one we're using <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Why don't you, why don't you go ahead, Stephen? That's the first house rule: is the disregard the house rule rule. Yeah. And then let's actually let's let's dip into your negative myths about house rules before we get started here. Okay. I think that'll be useful to recite on the pod too. Okay. So negative rules: one, uh, they're too complicated to remember. So we're using rules already, and the rule the core rule book by itself is like, yeah. 250 pages almost. Mm-hmm. So if you're using you know, a few house rules, then 
you're changing some things. The errata has probably changed more things in the core rulebook than anyone's house rules. So yes, just saying, oh, they're too complicated or there's going to be too many. You have to remember the changes. They make the game unbalanced. They, they can if you make unbalanced house rules. They can also make it more balanced. A lot of people will have the stigma of you know, people who don't understand a system coming in and trying to make it more like another system or implementing these rules that they just break the game because the game master doesn't understand how the system works. And then uh, saying that the system doesn't need any changes. I mean, I mean, it was changed many times over the years. I would say (laughs) I'd argue there's about 11 books worth of changes they made to the system. (laughs) As a former member of this camp, as the, the, as, as you know, the, the more puritanical Swissy game master, I, I quickly, I learned that how wrong that was about as quickly as I adopted that viewpoint. <laughs> oh, you love climb checks, don't you, Steve? <laughs> you just love getting your little climb checks in whenever you... Oh, <laughs> swim checks, too, I bet. You motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't need any changes, but it's good to have them. And there are a lot of changes already, yeah, like you said. Let's, let's really quick, I would like to see... Um, can someone read the let's read what a house rule is in accordance with the Swissy guidelines? Yes. And then I want to hear bit. what what you guys would qualify as a house rule, because we've already talked about what a house rule is, not which is like when a die rolls off a table or when someone brings their girlfriend or partner to the session unprompted. <laughs> <laughs> the house rules, you sit there and you be quiet. <laughs> We're doing Star Wars things right now. <laughs> OK, so. Yeah, this is on page 241 of the core rulebook in Adjudicating the Rules. Um, often a situation arises that isn't explicitly covered by the rules. In such a situation, it's the GM who needs to provide guidance as to how it should be resolved. When you come ac- upon a situation that doesn't seem to be covered by the rules, consider the following. Uh, and then it's a bullet point list. The second bullet point, if you have to make something up, stick with it for the rest of the campaign. This is called a house rule. <laughs> and that's all that it has about house rules stand by your mistakes that's a house rule now <laughs> it does have a little bit more of a reasoning but consistency keeps players satisfied and gives them the feeling that they are adventuring in a stable predictable universe not in some random nonsensical place subject only to the gm's wins so house rule is for consistency's sake and according to the rules, that's that's fair. I, and you can really feel the developer intent behind those sentences because they're really it's like kid gloves and also using tongs to, to carry those words to the place. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's not wrong, but I think not that it's, it's more than that as well. Exactly. Now, Stephen, what would you define as a house rule? Because you said it's a, we're talking about yes, it's a mechanical change, but like, is it? I, I guess we I guess you kind of did mention it, but table flow reasons or simplify math reasons or yeah. So um, I guess the reasons why you'd make house rules. Well, so if you had to add on to the game definition of a house rule, what would you what what sentence or two would you throw in there to help further clarify? 
I would probably say if there's any changes that you make to the rules uh, for any reason, whether it's, well, I wouldn't say out of ignorance because I honestly don't like it when that happens, but when you make the changes to the rules. <laughs> hey, Perfect. keep it simple, stupid. That's totally fine by us. We love simplicity on this podcast. <laughs> Why do you think the hosts are so stupid? <laughs> wow. I, oh, I don't. Man. I don't share that that opinion. Let it, let it be known. I think we're very smart. Yeah, the smartest, <laughs> only the best. Everyone's saying it. Okay, great. We've talked about what is a house rule. We've talked about some potential misconceptions of house ruling. Uh, we've talked about what the book says about house rules, all in a single bullet point. I want to talk about the instinct to house rule. This is something that is on my mind a lot when it comes to the broader online RPG community. And I, I think it speaks to uh, something going on in the psychology of people who enjoy RPGs. So, so let's, let's go over a, a familiar scenario, shall we, Stephen? It's approximately 7 p.m. on a weekday. Uh, you, get a, you get a ping on your phone. Uh, a fresh face has joined the Swissy community, be it on the Discord or, or Reddit. And their very first message, their very first interaction in the community is asking how they can change the system to suit them. They haven't read the wiki yet. They haven't read virtually anything, but they're here and they want to change the system. What do you think that says about prospective game masters slash players? I'd say that they recognize that most systems need house rules. <laughs> it's good. Oh, so that makes sense. It's coming from a place of experience. I, I, I feel that, especially coming from more, uh, I'm going to use the word fluid here, more fluid <laughs> systems. There. Sam's talking about 5e. And, <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that's right. I got, I, this whole place is bugged by Wizards of the Coast, Stephen. You need to <laughs> shut up right now. <laughs> Wizards, actually, now that we've said it out loud and, and by name, Wizards has been marketing D&D as the catch-all RPG system for a long time now, probably since at least as, as long as 3.5. And we know that there's no such thing, right? That, like, there's different scenarios that different systems are best suited for, and it's downright impossible to make a set of rules, a, a set of math, that can map to every scenario a group of five nerds can cook up. Sorry, sorry. Oh. I was low. Sorry, let me get the door really quick. It's GURPS, and they've got to check that your mouth can't cash, Steven. <laughs> yeah, I disagree uh, as well, because I think that there are systems that can do everything, but then there's some systems that you know are better at certain settings or certain types of games as well. So there are, I mean, people have taken 5e, and they have, made it do everything, but does it do it well? And that's, and that's what I'm getting at is that, you know, it's, it's impossible to have, I guess what I should have said is that it's impossible to have a system that does everything well. Yeah. And in the case of GURPS, you know, you use GURPS. The whole point of GURPS is to pare down an extremely expansive, almost infinitely large rule set. Like you, you really, you really got to be the marble when it comes to, to GURPS. I can't think of GURPS without thinking of that, you know, that infamous like shotgun crit build. I don't remember the details off the top of my head, but there's some, apparently some <laughs> insane shit you can do with the right circumstances with, with GURPS and shotguns. 
I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, I've made this one like Peasant Railgun levels of notoriety. I think so. Like if, yeah, it's if thirty it's up characters there. pass an item back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's. I think that's a good instinct. People are used to morphing and bending, and you know, extruding five E into various shapes and forms to suit their table. So they probably approach Swissy with you know the same attitude. In my experience, getting new to Swissy. I, I just like I, I approached it. It was one of my first RPGs and I just saw like a big wad of string, like just a big like dust bunny mess that you find under your washing machine. And you're like, oh, my God, I got to figure out how to get paid, how to get this down. I got to like cut off this part. I got to trim that down. You got your book at a garage sale. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've that's a fair that's fair. I, I can see it as the as the big dust bunny that's insurmountable at times. But I would like to. This is a, probably a very biased metaphor, but I I read the whole recipe before I start making changes. That's just my opinion. You <laughs> right. know, like I'll I'll read the full. I I'm not going to decide halfway through that I'm going to put chocolate into this into this recipe. You know. <laughs> It's just one of the, especially not on reading the title of the recipe and then being like, this sounds good. Can I add carrots to this instead? Yeah. Like, come on. And that's well, fucking food metaphors in this podcast, huh? I oh, <laughs> starving. I think that's a really good analogy, actually, because if someone is like, man, I really want to make this, you know, I, I really want to make something that, that's got, you know, this broccoli and ham and cheese and potato casserole. Mm. And then they're like, well, I'm not a fan of broccoli, but I love asparagus and I want to substitute the asparagus in. I actually did that in reverse, actually. I I use broccoli instead of asparagus. That sounds good, though. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like perfectly reasonable. You've taken my metaphor and you've turned it on its head because that sounds perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, of course, meant something like changing something fundamental, like taking the potatoes out of a casserole and replacing it with spaghetti. Like that now, now we're in strange territory and, and, you know, I've, both of, you know, I've tried and failed to hide my frustration with, with, (laughs) with people online sometimes who have not played a single like encounter, let alone session. That's the other thing as well. (laughs) And are like, how can I add armor classes to Swissy? I'm making up a scenario, but, but similar have happened (laughs) quite a bit. And it's like, it's like reading a recipe and being like. I've never had cake before, but is it okay if I if I add uh, fettuccine to my cake mix? Yeah, what if I throw in some chicken wings? Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's something that has I've always I've had to whenever I see online I've had to like count to ten, take a few breaths, <laughs> and and have a have a healthy constructive response to to requests like that. And it's only so frustrating to me because. I've probably seen it a couple dozen times over the past year where someone who has not played the game is already making very big decisions about what Swissy <laughs> should be. And at their table, it's their right. But me, I just, I, I can't stand it. Did you have any thoughts on the, on the subject, Steven? Not much more than that. I think that there's some people who do have experience in, you know, especially D20 systems that Wizards has put out uh, who can kind of come into Swissy very easily and 
you can identify like this thing seems broken and they might ask about a house rule and say, oh, how, how does this play out? And does this need to be changed? Um, and then there's, uh, oh, I mean, there are some people who just recognize that, yeah, it's a D20 system put out by wizards and it's going to need house rules. And they <laughs> say, what do I need to play most effectively from the get-go? Because I don't want to have to spend some time learning how to play suboptimally when there's this experience that the community has that they can say, oh, yes, you need to change skills versus defenses. Or you need to change this. And I think that asking for that sort of advice uh, is, is, is fine. Uh, I think that maybe proposing changes, if they're there to get feedback on their house rules, then I think that's okay. If they're saying, I started playing, um, I'm in my fifth session, and here are the problems that I'm facing, and, here the, and people wait, say, like, wait, why are your players able to do this? Like, can't you just do this? And they say, well, I use this house rule to do this. That's when they messed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to bring it back to the, to the recipe metaphor, you can cook without a recipe, right? Right. But in this context, that's called game design. That's mm. not called mm -hmm. running a game. Mm. And I, I definitely feel like there's a point where the house rules get a bit into the game design theory. And that's healthy at a certain extent. And I, I definitely it's unintentional, but it's healthy. It's one of those things where you should. I'm going to this is if you take anything from this interview, listener, it's this RTFM. Read the fucking manual. Or in this case, just the core rulebook and maybe Rebellion Era Campaign Guide, because that one's really fun. And, <laughs> and you can't you can't miss out on Galaxy of Intrigue. It's just really good. Uh, <laughs> hey, system, Scavenger's Guide to Droids is right there, Scavenger's too. Guide to Droids, yeah. Scum and Villainy. Oh, you know, man. you might as well you pick up Unknown Regions while you're there. <laughs> oh, man. This system's rough, but... I think it shine when it shines, it fucking shines. It blinds. It's it's radiant. It has this draw. Otherwise, we'd be fucking playing Fantasy Flight's difficulty die game, Extravaganza, or God forbid, Star Wars Five E. Some of the base rules or mechanics are definitely elegant systems from a more civilized age, and a lot of people come into the system thinking, "Oh, I could do this better," and it's okay. You can only have that opinion after you experience it. And most players or most game masters are not good game designers. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is also something I wanted to touch on maybe a little bit later, but yeah, we can talk about it now too. First of all, Stephen, thank you for your response to my prompt earlier. That was a far more patient, kind, and balanced approach to the problem than I think I initially had, but I'll keep your words in mind next time I, I come across that, that scenario. I had one more thing I wanted to say about that, but it's escaping me right now. Yeah, I do think that uh, to make good, balanced house rules, it does require a certain amount of uh, expertise in the system as well. Yeah, or at least experience, at least having yeah. fucking played it. You talked about... <laughs> <laughs> you talked about... Um, how you know community members can arrive and essentially take a shortcut around a lot of you know frustrations regarding the system like the you mentioned the skills versus defense um problem it's it is a problem it's it's the bantha in the room um, <laughs> yeah we don't soundboard those in i i, I do it with my mouth every time oh <laughs> 
Could have fooled me. Yeah. <laughs> Pay no attention to the bantha behind the curtain. But but the, the point I'm getting at is that personally, I think everyone should be able, as a game master or as a player, should have to experience skill focus, use the force, and play <laughs> at, at least once one. in their life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With no prior so knowledge great, of though. what that relationship is like. <laughs> and honestly, there are plenty of people who still play that way. And they yes. say, well, this is just part of the system and that's how it works. And they don't seek anything better. Which I obviously I think it's better to play with a house rule for that. But Yes, uh, and I agree. And I love your skill focus house rule. I don't use it. Not mine. But if I was yeah. Oh, yeah. Not <laughs> yours. But I don't use it. But if I were introducing Swissy to like a group of new people who needed maybe a more balanced, predictable experience. Absolutely. I practically consider it part of the game. But also me and my players love having like a plus 19 to their pilot skill at level. I mean, 10. if you're not power <laughs> gamers, I think it can. I think it has its place. And yeah. the level one you say you said that, Steve, the yeah. level one. Skill focus, use the force with move object is what I was thinking. <laughs> skill focus, use the force, move object, or skill focus, use the force pyrokinesis. Yeah. I, you take me back to our first ever session of Saga Edition when our Jedi Lyril Vaughn did the skill focus, use the force because of Mira Luka. Yeah. Mira Luka Jedi <laughs> pyrokinesis. Yeah, Mir- level one Mira Luka Jedi. <laughs> Just obliterating like four stormtroopers with pyrokinesis. And I think Star Wars has those moments. And yeah. That's okay. I'm sure the, I, it's definitely a 3.5 holdover, right? It's not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, anyway, I feel like we're kind of rambling here. Let's, uh, yeah, let's, yeah, come on, Sam. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we hinted at, at the next topic a little bit earlier. You know, I, one thing I wanted to get after was who should house rule? Well, not not the players. That, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Definitely write that one down. Sometimes the players will house rule without telling you, like taking they a should. talent without taking the prereq. <laughs> I was just house ruling, dude. I swear. <laughs> yeah, I think that people who understand how they are going to be changing the system and what impact that will that will have beyond just the simple changes they are making uh, yeah. to have that level of expertise is necessary if you want it to work the first try you might be able to just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks and experience the house rules and discard them as you go along that is possible it might be a little rough until you figure that out and that's kind of how the way some people play their campaigns so it's not just you can't do it unless you are on the council you're you're a certified wizard but uh, I think that it is good to have some level of experience. Yes, definitely. And I've gotten pushback from this idea before, maybe rightfully so. But I, I think the collective I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say the the collective obsession with house ruling, with with changing the system can be a little extraneous. Sometimes I think can be people can go a little overboard. I think that the idea that just anyone can be a game designer on par with the people who wrote the damn book and, and make these big, you know, system changing. What's a good word here? Big sweeping decisions. Yeah. Big sweeping decisions regarding, you know, 5e or, or Swissy. I, I think that's a little over encouraged and I'm the last person 
to prevent, to stop someone from learning from their own mistakes. I'm never going to tell anyone that they can't experiment, that they can't learn from themselves, that they can't. You'll never be a game designer. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something that I, I, I wish people did with a little bit more caution. And I may be biased from my own experiences, but in the many, many tables I've ran, people hate being the subject of your your geeky experiments with with game rules above all else in in my circles players desire consistency they love openness they love fairness kind of like when we were all playing pretend on the playground way back in the day the the worst thing ever was when you know Andy came in with oh I've changed Fucking the Andy. rules you I have invincibility bubble you know you oh, can't, it's Calvin. You can't touch. Yeah, yeah, Calvin. A little Calvin ball on that one. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think obviously there's going to be tables, and I'm sure you have experience with this, Stephen, that where people not only appreciate experimentation with the rules, but expect it. In my, in my ways, in my life, it has not been the case. People really respond well to when they can focus on the story instead of what rules I'm changing this session. These three hours are the only consistency I have in my life. Let me have these. (laughs) (laughs) Sam speaking from experience. Yeah, I I think that in most of the campaigns I've played, uh, people don't really focus on the house rules uh, as a point of something that's changing. Like most of the time, the GM just sets the house rules and they say, this is what we're playing with. And there are some people who just get turned off of that and they just leave and they won't play a game because of that. Uh, but right. then there's some people who just say, well, all right, I'll play. And then sometimes they'll have stories and they'll say, yeah, you know, I played this one campaign with this GM who made this change and I really didn't like that. But I think that most games, I think that most games involve usually minimal house rules. There's usually some that I've seen. And some of them are just like, yeah, you can't play the species. And once you start playing, I mean, you're not playing that species. And so you never actually, quote unquote, use that house rule. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. And these are things that typically me and Steve are huge fans of the Session Zero. And I think every game master should be. But these are things that are get covered at the Session Zero. And it's you talk about players being turned off by house rules. I think if they're uh, under, if it's a, if it's a house rule that makes sense and the GM uses it for a reason, then that's the, that's what the session zero is for, right? You go there, you're like, Hey, these are my house rules. This is the setting. Here are your player options. And they're like, Oh, what do you mean? I can't use my, what do you mean? I can't have Revan's lightsaber crystal uh, level one. (laughs) I can't play a Gendai bounty hunter, CT killer, two stepper. Are you kidding me? I can't play Jar Jar's cousin Dardar. I think most of the time it's like, wait, what do you mean I can't start as a Jedi? Yeah. Like, what? what's with that house rule? Like, why can't I start as a Jedi? What, what the heck, man? And once again, I'm reminded of, of Rodney's conversation about, like, this game was designed with what people want to do in a Star Wars role-playing game. And I totally sympathize with the guy who wants to step into the the boots and robes of a Jedi on level one. And there's some stories where that makes sense. 
the stories I like to tell, and presumably the stories you like to tell, Stephen, don't always start like that. <laughs> Sometimes we like to build to that gratification. Sometimes I say everyone needs to be a Jedi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there no, we go. There's there's stories for that too. Well, if you you know if you look at current Star Wars, then everyone has to be a Jedi, right? <laughs> Every story has to have at least one Jedi in it. Sometimes two or three. Uh, several flashbacks to other Jedi. <laughs> But sometimes you'll get a one shot where it's like all non force sensitives and then it's super cool and, and it's like, oh, man, it ties into the main canon really well. And then they never do anything with it ever again. Except maybe a spinoff series. It's a prequel to the movie. I, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm rambling. <laughs> yeah. And the prequel has too much talking in it for most audience. members. To pay attention. And so, also Andy Serkis. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Fantastic. I'm having a great time. I'm glad. Can we, I, I, I think I just have a, in my gut feeling, Stephen, I, I just have, I just want to go over like your top three house rules that you, that you use and list on, on this, on this essay. You mind if, if I read them out loud? Cause I, these top three, I just love, uh, like number one, number two, number three in order. Oh, okay. The, the way that I've presented them. Okay. Sure. I'll, I'll I'll do it. I, I want to do it. Let me do it. <laughs> no, Steve, they're his house rules. Okay. Let him read them out loud. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just let's do. No, no. You we'll can, take, you can just read do them. them one at a time. We'll do them one at a time. We'll do one and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I think I actually did put those roughly in order. Uh, no, they're not in order of, of preference, but go ahead and read them. Uh, yeah. So Steven, I, I thought it might be time to just come down here and, and just read a few of your, of your house rules that, that you listed on your, on your dissertation. Cause I just, I yeah, just, these are the you, ones I you nailed the these 44 theses on our wall and now we've got to tear them down and read them to the townsfolk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only like r- roughly half as good as Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Martin Luther didn't come up with, uh, <laughs> with these house rules. So I'd argue you're on par. Okay. <laughs> I hear his table split a long time ago and they're still not back together. <laughs> the great part, the great splitting of the party. Yeah. <laughs> the first. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh man. Can we do a, <laughs> a religious history podcast after this? <laughs> yeah. Right. We'll get right on that soon. Sorry. Go ahead and read. There are lots of items and abilities that deal with range, but the vast majority of maps are point-blank range for every weapon, except Throne. I also want the choice of weapon to go beyond at which one has the highest damage dice, or even to encourage different weapons for different situations. The suggested changes are as follows. Cut the weapon ranges in half. And when I first read this, I was like, that's dumb. That's fucking stupid. Why would anyone do that? What is he proposing? (laughs) Uh, but then as I, you know, continued to read, saw the math, I, I, I grew to like it. Inaccurate weapons take a minus five at short range and a minus 10 at medium range. 3D8 pistols and rifles with folded stocks are counted as inaccurate. It, just great. It, it's, the, this is the kind of change I love. When I didn't know I needed it. Yeah. When, right. When someone proposes a change to any system, not just Swissy, but Swissy is the one we're talking about tonight. When someone's change to the system is adding on a whole other subsystem on a system that has subsystems for its subsystems. 
there's a certain <laughs> thing I'm alluding to that maybe you're, you're catching on to here. I, I don't want to learn that. I don't want to have to teach that to other people like, oh, hey, the system that's, you know, known to be a little intricate, a little complicated. Let's make it more complicated to make it simpler. No, absolutely not. That's like uh, it's like when websites would prompt you to download their download manager in like the early 2000s. And it was just rife with spyware and, and other weird shit. I think that clever exclusions are truly the mark of a usable and simple house rule. Like something as simple and at face value brutal as cut weapon ranges in half. Yeah. I'm imagining the sashimi chef chopping the big block of tuna into beautiful, delicate strips. And that's what you're feeding me tonight, Stephen. Yeah. And if, you know, you, you talked about people playing and getting experience with the system. And I think that mm. when people play and experience the system and they realize, wait, no matter what weapon I'm using, I'm always in point blank range. When am I ever going to be 40 squares away from somebody? It's like, well, when you do theater of the mind combat, which yeah. is really weird in the system that relies so much on cover and, and, and tactical and positioning, strategic placement. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it, was, it was a tie in product for a, a tactics <laughs> game. Like, <laughs> So if you never use those ranges, you never get to use all those cool options. And some people are yeah. looking at that and saying, you know, those three in combination and saying, well, with my heavy blaster pistol, you know, if someone is 11 squares away, then I'm taking a minus five. That's just so terrible, and I can't live with that. And there's some very easy responses. You know, A, move forward. B, you know, get a range finder. C, use a targeting scope. You know, D, get far shot. Use all those range expanding options that prior to this, you never used. Or you would just get the targeting scope because it costs zero upgrade points and it was so cheap. Yeah, I, I wanted to. I've just and Han Solo price. has one. And Han Solo has one. Um, yeah, you're you're right. You know, if if getting over that barrier of a minus five penalty eleven squares was difficult, I would have a problem. But a targeting scope, folks, get let's get real. A hundred credits. <laughs> Zero upgrade points, common availability. You could buy this on your very first session. You could start the game with this easily, and no one would take issue with that. Yeah, and if you do have someone who is, you know, 40 squares away, if you have that big of a map, or if you are doing Theory of the Mind, then maybe that is, you know, a reason for you to get a rifle and to have different weapons for different situations. And, you know, you, you see, you know, like Boa Fett in Legends, where he has this huge arsenal of weaponry. You know, you have different things for different situations. It's wonderful. Uh, and it's realistic. Even. Yes. And, and there's some games where you might say, I want my character to have an iconic weapon that is like, this is his thing, like Django Fett and his uh, West Star 34s, or with Han Solo and his DL 44. You know, those are their iconic weapons. And some people may want to run a game like that. Some people want, may want to run an Arsenal game. I want to clarify, and I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure it's the case, but I just want to make sure these halved ranges do not apply at Starship scale to vehicle weapons. And stuff oh, no. Like that, right? No. Well, okay, thank Starship God. ranges are already <laughs> short enough. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the crux of why I like this, this house rule so much, is that it simplifies combat, it 
makes us use more parts of the system, like a diverse array of range affecting player options and quite the armory. As we know, Swissy has many, many weapons, some of them for situations I, I can only imagine. And this allows you to, to adopt a, a wider breadth of, of more diverse and, and effective weapons, which is great because that means more tactics and more tactics means more fun because players feel smarter and GMs too. More tactical options. That's it. More tactical options. Let's talk about uh, skill focus. This change is quite simple. As it's often observed, making a skill check against a defense in early levels will pretty much always succeed if you have skill focus and will often fall short at, at very high levels. This is the skill versus defense problem that Swissy has. It's, it's largely regarded as a critical flaw of the system, but one that I think is relatively easily remedied. The, this problem has been the center of much discussion for the entirety of Swissy's history. You wrote here, skill focus does not add plus five to a skill. It adds your full heroic level to skill checks instead of half your heroic level. Yeah, and uh, Tsuyoshi Kensu did a page on the wiki over this, the math behind skill DCs, and there, yeah. th- this has been something that has been, like, like he, he didn't come up with that. It's been since the, like, since the start of the system, basically. Yeah. Uh, people have recognized this, and this has been something that the community has said, okay, skills versus defenses. And also, I want to mention the reason behind why this is the case. Because when you train in a skill and when you focus in a skill, you get a plus 10 uh, straight off the bat. And then there's your ability modifier and your um, half your level. So you're already starting at a very high uh, modifier to your skill. And then if you look at defenses, you start at 10 plus your level plus your class bonus plus your ability modifier. And most of the time, those things other than the plus 10 are fairly small at starting levels. So you have something that's around 10 for the skill focus, and then you have something that's around 10 for the defense. And then you're adding a d20 onto the skill. And so you're almost always going to succeed. So that's, that's the issue at the low levels. At the high levels... The skill has increased by half of your heroic level. So you've added you know, roughly plus 10. And then your defenses have increased by your heroic level. So you've added 20 by the time you hit level 20. And there's also a lot of other things that you can use to increase your defenses as well. Armor, class bonuses, various feats and talents, and so your defenses will often be much higher than it's even possible to reach with skills by the time that you are at the very highest levels. So you go from one end of the spectrum to the very other end, and so this is kind of addressing that and trying to smooth that out. Very good. I, I can see it being a smooth, definitely a smoother incline than what we have currently, but I wonder if skill focus being the additional plus five does that does it remove some of the challenge of of that that higher level play has like i can't use you know against a high level sith apprentice or something i can't always just use the same force powers that because i because i'm plus 20 on on that use the force check now instead of plus 15 well 
in that case, uh, you'd have, I mean, you, you have high level characters. You want them to feel high level and powerful. And then also, oftentimes those skill checks are opposed by other use the force skill checks. So I think that it's not, it, it's, I mean, if you feel like it gets too powerful at higher levels, then uh, you could, you know, there there are options to deal with that. But there's also, if you weren't running that way, you'd have the same option, or you'd have the same problems at early levels when the characters aren't supposed to be powerful. That's a fair point. As as we all know, uh, game mastering is just keeping as many plates spinning at once. <laughs> you also spoke or wrote about. Uh, increasing the value of knowledge skills, which is kind of the kind of the paint I'm huffing these days. You wrote that. <laughs> Sorry, I was why really did they funny. say that? <laughs> no, it was great. I love it. <laughs> good, good. Every PC gets a free knowledge skill. Uh, lots of groups ignore the trained only requirement of checks that are DC 15 or above, possibly giving penalties for being untrained or allowing checks based on a character's experiences and background. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. A lot of people, you mentioned a few like quirks of the system that people usually house rule without realizing. That was a fun segment. Mm-hmm. The not realizing that DC checks above 15 are trained only is absolutely on that list for me. I don't think I realized that until maybe a few months ago, that there's certain DCs that you can only even take a crack at if you are trained in the skill, which does make sense, practically speaking. Yeah, and um, the Rollmongers, for instance, had an episode recently where there was this uh, character who showed up from canon, and the players the players all knew who it was, but they were saying, okay, does my character know who this person is and what he is known for? And so... Is Lando a guy or a system? <laughs> yeah, and, and so they, they were rolling galactic lore checks and i don't know how many of them were actually trained in galactic lore but you know some of them were like rolling a 20 or something and they were getting information about that and i think that you know having the ability to take out of character information and say my character knows this now i love being able to do that with knowledge checks or to yes have a, a player say okay this is my plan. Like I want to take the starship. I want to like speed up. And then at the last moment, like zoom off and have this package trailing behind the ship, keep going. Like, can I do that? And it's like, well, make a knowledge physical sciences check. We had something similar happen in our zero distance campaign. I believe my character, this was early on my character, Atorn. we used the jamming suites and the a wings to help navigate uh, a galactic nebula. <laughs> And and I was like, could that work? And then Steve was like, oh, I'll give a roll a knowledge of physical sciences or a knowledge. Can't remember what it was. Maybe knowledge tactics, something, something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Or like, hey, what kind, what kind of a creature is leaving these tracks? Yeah. Like, oh, well, roll life sciences. You know, do you see claw prints? Do you, see, what, you know, what kind of a footprint is it? The size thirteen Jordan. Well, I think that would fall under purview of the survival skill, actually. Uh, <laughs> That's for following them. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I know what shape they are, obviously, so I can follow them. I just don't know what made them. <laughs> I think it's that thing right there. 
<laughs> but being able to give this information to your players to plan and to, to heighten the experience, I think, is wonderful. And if they don't have something trained, then you say, well, there's this basic information that you can get at a 10, and, like, I guess that's it. And <laughs> I think that most players, most players that I have played with, at least, typically don't value the knowledge skills unless it's like knowledge life sciences and they're going right. into medic or if it's knowledge tactics because they just say i want my person to be an awesome tactical person which is that also required for which officer i am not <laughs> required for what Sorry, was is that also required for officer knowledge tactics i don't think it is yes it is oh knowledge it is. tactics hell yeah okay that's got that's out steved <laughs> yeah so apart from a f or or techies who are taking knowledge technology uh but some of the lesser used ones you know social sciences or galactic or even bureaucracy social sciences physical sciences a lot of those just don't get a lot of people taking them even though it's great to be able to give out information with them that's because it's my dump stat, and I only get, like, two trained skills anyway. <laughs> Sam knows I love busting out bureaucracy checks on, on poor, unsuspecting players. It's great, especially when it's like, oh, you, you're encountered royalty. Oh, shit, roll knowledge bureaucracy to see if you don't flummox this. Well, yeah, sometimes the most interesting and, and difficult challenge you can put in front of a group of soldiers is navigating a situation without killing anyone. Uh, <laughs> and uh, another thing is... is or using or knowing which fork to use at the dinner party. <laughs> exactly. The, uh, a wise GM once told me that the most interesting encounter is an awkward family dinner. <laughs> but this also goes into how I think you design your campaign from the get-go, naturally. When I started Zero Distance, I told everyone, like, hey, you're going to have access to nearly every weapon in the game that's interesting you're gonna have you know a, a warship to to fuck around in but the most potent weapon at your disposal will be intel it'll be information you know the the true advantage you'll have on your enemy will be what you know not necessarily how straight you can shoot and well listen when your enemy's the empire your advantage certainly isn't in resources right like exactly very cool did you have something you wanted to add steven not on that subject just checking. We're reaching the end of our time here, so I wanted to to cap off our discussion about your your let it ride segment of your of your essay, which is actually my favorite part of it. Um, I actually had a proposal for another bit, but we'll talk about this first. Let's no, let's hear it. Okay, uh, one of the comments was someone who said that they wanted to make they wanted to make house rules that were more appropriate or that simulated lightsaber combat like the movies. Right. I saw that one. I saw that one. And so I was thinking maybe we could maybe we could make some house rules that would make lightsaber combat feel more like the cinematic lightsaber fights in the movies. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Let's do that. And then we can use this as a model of breaking down how you would make a decent balanced house rule. The approach, the why, the how. I, I, I like this. I like this. Here's my opinion on that. When I read that, I immediately jumped to probably one of my favorite moments in our first campaign that Steve ran for us was uh, our Jedi, our gray Jedi, Lyrils Vaughn, had 
stepped into a Jedi temple and was undoing going through like these weird trials. And one of them was to one on one battle Anakin Skywalker, like after he kills all the younglings and stuff. And I get chill. I'm getting chills just thinking about it now. There was a, a round where it was block repost block repost block repost in like one round there was a a crazy back and forth of a, 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 a volley between the two lightsabers and it was awesome to see at the table because it was very tense rolls back and forth from the gm and the player and i'm thinking like you got to give your players the opportunity to have those great cinematic moments i i it's still an RPG. It's still a TTRPG system. And the fact that we've got health points and stuff like that does take away from the cinematicness of it. It's not, you know, you're not going to get shot once and then be like bleeding out or you're not going to have your K2 moment where you're getting shot and you're locking the door behind the other players, stuff like that. Um, does that make sense? Am I, am I, am I just yeah. like, talking to into the ether? Yeah. Okay, For good. instance, <laughs> like, like in, in KOTOR, when you're facing off, against enemies and you've got you know three people you know three party members it doesn't quite feel the same as the movies but uh yeah i think that set the setup is definitely important and providing that either one-on-one or you know even just setting the environment i guess is is necessary you know having you know, catwalks or bridges or reactor pits or magma. <laughs> Open lava. power couplings for no yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think environment is good. Steve, I'd love to hear what you think about this making lightsaber combat more cinematic or or like the movies. Because I, I honestly don't know if there's anything I could change to make it more cinematic without functionally changing how the RPG works in itself. There's one optional rule that I'm, I'm you should probably saw me digging over here. I'm trying furiously to find. I think it's it an is. Initiative. Is it a saber lock? Yes. Yes, it is. How did you oh, know? The steel <laughs> trap up here. I know everything. I don't, I don't know what it says. I've just seen the page. <laughs> right there. Oh my God. There it is. Yeah. From the Jadam. Um, this was kind of the, I, I wanted this to kind of be our springboard for this conversation and designing a rule or two to make lightsaber combat more like the movies. Reading from the Jedi Academy training manual, saber locks. Many times, two lightsaber combatants will strike at one another, locking their lightsabers together in a test of strength and skill as their blades crackle with contact. As an optional rule, Whenever a Jedi with the block talent rolls their use the force check to negate the attack and the skill check result is exactly equal to the incoming attack roll, the attack is negated and a saber lock occurs. Both characters lock their lightsabers together and both the original attacker and the blocking Jedi must make opposed initiative checks. The character with the higher result may make an immediate unarmed attack against the other character as a free action at which point the saber lock ends. Is that, that's all that it says on the saber locks? Yes. Yeah. So wow. this is pretty rare, right? It's not yeah. going to be every day. Entire encounters could blow by without this ever happening quite easily. So I propose, this is what I'm thinking. Perhaps a saber lock occurs when, what's the most elegant way to say this? Unless you do 10 over the uh, Yeah, I was thinking attack. 10 or 5 over. 
is is when a saber lock occurs if unless you manage to beat the incoming attack by by let's say five. I like that. That's a very simple way to to do it, but it, it's I don't know if that is, I mean that hits house roll on the head. Simple blanket, pretty easy to remember. And I have one more thing that I want. I'm curious what y'all think about. Let's say you get the choice to make an unarmed attack as a free action or cast a force power that requires a swift action. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I think that I'd actually like to take a bit of a different approach um, because we do have this optional rule uh, and we can say, okay, what's what what is it and uh what does it do but let's also talk about what does it mean for it to be more cinematic what does it mean what what do lightsaber fights look like in the movies i get well first of all that depends on uh (laughs) yeah it depends heavily on which movies (laughs) it does it does there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of those that environmental stuff that people have the, the gm has to set up but right if we can get some house rules that encourage movement, uh, there is a lot of dismemberment. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> you know, if we can average. get a, a house rule <laughs> that has more dismemberment, yeah. I think that those are the – I'm holding up three fingers, but I said two things. Um, hey, that, that's my – we call that Stephen math. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> that's great. So if we can get something that has those. The aim to make it more cinematic – and also find some way to incorporate those other functions. Okay, hear me out, hear me out. And I think Steve's going to get a kick out of this. Uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition has the, the dual rules where you make a skill check and, and to decide who gets the attack first or who goes off. It's like a rock, paper, scissors on skill check, right? Does that sound... Um, In- you know, you're more familiar with deception. that. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Or uh, uh, drop, what was it? Initiative, deception, perception? Yeah. Drop perception, throw acrobatics in there. Boom, there you go. Oh, there you I've go. I've done it. And maybe, uh, on, <laughs> maybe on a successful um, acrobatics ch- check, maybe if, you've, if you win, if you get to go first, maybe instead of an attack, you can choose to move. Reposition? Yeah, yeah. Make, a, make a big move, may either by you know, a surge jump or... What have you, you do a you do a reposition around the enemy and then uh, if you make an attack before them on your next uh, for the next part of the duel, you treat it as they're being flanked. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. You have to yeah. give some sort of a reason for it because the way that it currently plays out a lot of the time is two opponents will come together and they yep. will stay in melee range of each other and they will attack and maybe block or use a power and then they'll attack and you know block or use a defense power. And so it'll it'll just be like swinging each other back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So encouraging movement by offering flanking is a great one. In that situation too, is when that's when I love to bring in environmental hazards. It's like, Oh, the floor is crumbling beneath you. Uh (laughs) Oh, this, this place that harvests magma and what's supposed to do is suddenly crumbling to the magma. I'm trying to think of an ability that lets a player improvise like throwing rocks or, you know, cutting off some sort of vent and tossing it at the enemy. 
Oh, um, using an environmental, oh, like an environmental yeah. way. Trying to think okay. of an ability or optional rule that, that enables a player to to improvise an environmental hazard and, and give them a good reward for doing Maybe it. Maybe a, um, just kind of as a move, move light object, uh, the move action yeah. part of that, giving a circumstance bonus, but it provokes an attack of opportunity. So you have to back away from them first. Absolutely. Okay. I like, um, I'm loving the idea of, I can't remember. There's something about slug throwers in, I don't know, not necessarily in saga edition, but in star Wars canon or legends that when they get blocked by a lightsaber, it just kind of turns into shrapnel, like goes through the blade and like, as like melted shrapnel. I like the idea of throwing like either like a, like a large rock or maybe like a pocket sand situation where you're just throwing <laughs> And it's like, oh, I try to block it because it's my instinct to do so as a Jedi. But it's like, oh, now I've got like sand in my eye. Um, that is, I like this concept. I don't, I'm not super familiar with the dual rules for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Is it just like one beats the other, Steve? Do you remember? How does, yeah, they, how does they have a Rochambeau relationship, but I, I don't know it off the top of my head. One Okay, well, well, we don't need to use it. We can make up our own here. We've got, yeah. what was it, Deception? Deception could be like a flourish or like a, a feint or yeah, something it's, like it's that. Yeah, it's meant to represent like a feint. And then Perception, obviously, is just you being a particularly watchful warrior, and then Acrobatics could be you being a particularly slippery one. No, it wasn't an initiative. It was deception. Initiative, oh, yeah. From past five, yeah. I was thinking about your proposal earlier for acrobatics. Oh, but yeah, it could it could be initiative. But it's not just it's not just straight uh, like I choose this skill. You chose the skill. I win even if I roll really low and you roll really high or something. It's like a, a bonus or. Yeah, I believe something something happens if you succeed. Yeah, it's still an opposed skill. check. It's still yeah. an okay. opposed check, but you get a bonus for choosing that skill. No. Okay. All right. It's not a Rochambeau. Mm. You just get the bonus for succeeding the check. We got, I like the acrobatics. You get the, you get to go around the enemy and do a flanking bonus. I like deception for like a feint or something like that. And I think we should drop initiative and use, use the force. And that's your move light object or some sort of like environmental hazard, uh, interruption. Does that make sense? So it's even better than I thought. I looked it up. Um, you get a special reaction you can use if you win the initiative, depending on the skill you choose. And oh, okay. it's actually intimidation, deception, and perception. Okay. Those make definitely make more sense in that sort of fantasy uh, yeah. setting. Yeah. I, I think I like what we're cooking up here, though. Honestly. This is for, <laughs> this is for a duel between two characters, right? Two, two individuals, opponents, yeah. yeah. And uh, if there's a party, if it's... Um, you know, maybe two Jedi and their clone trooper buddies versus a Sith. Then mm-hmm. is this just going to be like once per round at the start of the round? Yeah, we actually tried this once before. The The dueling in Pathfinder folds into the initiative track quite elegantly for the rest of them. We had one character, a, a monk. She was fighting like a, a distant ancestor at fire gin or, or something. and they were dueling while the rest of us mopped up mooks and it worked out really, really well. It was just when the dueling characters on their turn did their dueling actions. And I know you're, you're probably thinking like, Oh, what if I want to, th- what if the other Jedi wants to th- get in there? Or what if the clone trooper wants to shoot a pot shot off? 
mm-hmm. then I think we could take something from the dogfighting uh, uh. system that's present at Starship Combat, maybe like a, and also, first of all, the clone trooper's not hitting. He doesn't have, uh, what, what's the, um, precise careful shot? shot, precise shot. He doesn't have yeah. precise shot. So he's not hitting anyway. He's, <laughs> But the uh, I like the idea of maybe there's like a sort of dogfighting mechanic if if the Padawan wants to join in on the Jedi Knight and the Sith Lord, then they've got a roll initiative to try and get in, but they get a minus five. And then maybe it's like a I don't know. I think there's something there and it definitely we could use a little more workshopping for for that sort of combat. But I definitely like. Maybe if the. Padawan rolls high enough, they just break the duel, and then you have to initiate a new duel if you're gonna. Uh, I'm just kind of throwing one out. I'm throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what force uh, lifting spaghetti. I definitely have to see all of this kind of written down, and this might be something that does add a bit more complexity than some groups are comfortable with. Uh, but it might also be a bit more just what they need uh, yeah a bit more <laughs> variety um i also had some thoughts on um like what if whenever someone successfully uses uses block they have to trade places ah i like that i like I that like a lot that. or you know circumstance bonuses just kind of instead of saying the gm can award circumstance bonuses for things just saying here are some examples of circumstance bonuses like attacking from higher ground or uh, <laughs> and so encouraging you know people to get up onto low objects or saying if someone's back is to a hazard or to a you know a, a fall then uh they oh. the, their attackers get a bonus to hitting them as well and if you're wielding if you're wielding a lightsaber and are proficient the gm can reward circumstance bonuses depending on the situation i like that that's definitely a that that's definitely more akin to the just blanket. Here's a super simple house rule that's that makes it more fun and cinematic versus what we what I was pitching, which is like, hey, here's rock paper scissors, a sub game inside the game. Yeah, there, and there's <laughs> definitely different types of different types of house rules. There's the adding subsystems, like you were talking about. I've seen one person who, well, it wasn't a subsystem. He wanted to change the entire system to a D100 system. Uh, but um, there, there's that's like a that's like a foundation rule instead of a house rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's there's system tweaks. Yeah, that's that's going back to the game designer sort of thing. And you can add in subsystems. You can add in just slight tweaks. And also going to the dismemberment thing. Give everyone severing strike. Yes. Yes. Just, yes. It's normally a Jedi Knight talent, but just give it to all the Jedi for free. Yes. With no penalties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no penalties. Are you yeah. sure? Well, some people <laughs> say, you know, I think it might've been the official Watsi FAQ that was like, yeah, give everyone severing strike, but make it a little harder to do. I, say I was no. thinking maybe give a dark side point. If someone does it like, and that's going to be know. very circumstantial. Feel... It's it's off topic for now, but there's absolutely <laughs> yeah. I, I, maiming your enemy can be a lot lot better, a lot less evil than outright killing them. So especially in Star Ask Wars, me how I know. yeah. <laughs> I mean, cy- cybernetics Wars, cybernetics right. are so good. Like it yeah. doesn't even count. <laughs> it's just the hand that had your wedding ring on it. Like it's not that important. <laughs> you can get another one. 
I think we're nearing the end of our time here, uh, Stephen. It's it's been wonderful having you. Thank you for for calling from so far away to come here and and talk to us about house rules. This has been an enlightening conversation, and and far far from the final uh, entry in in the big universal book of house rule discussion. I'm sure. Did you have any closing thoughts for us before we uh, we we let you go? I don't know. I thought this was pretty definitive, and that no one's going to have anything else to say about this. <laughs> Oh, like that's what we say after we record every episode of the podcast. How did you yep, know? Yep. This is the this was the perfect hour and fifteen minutes to cover the system, and now no one has to respond ever. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, that's great. Um, end on a joke. <laughs> um, thank you so much, little literalist. Yep. It's been an absolute pleasure. I I think we. You're you're getting better at this, so we better keep an eye out on the horizon for up up and coming uh, Steves in the podcasting world. Thank you so much for having me on and for doing all the editing, and uh, hopefully, all my microphone stuff has not uh, gone kaput and just crapped out. So it's okay if it does. We'll know who to blame. Yep, me (laughs) somehow. (laughs) Yeah, I'll find a way. I'll find a way. We'll pin it on Steve. All right. Thank you so much, little literalist. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. See ya. Uh, oh, 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 Sam, it feels so good to be taking a, a break on the yeah. same day of recording. <laughs> totally on the same day of recording as that interview. God, that was yeah, a great interview man, we it's, did. It happened. Now. It's fresh in my mind, just like it happened like three days ago. Oh, yeah. You know? Or like, even that's how three fresh minutes it is. ago. Who knows? Or three You'll minutes never know. ago. <laughs> um... This is the part of the show where we thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Um, and it, everyone, you know, can we get a, a round of applause? Thanks for little literalist for being on the show. Hey, what a, yeah. what a trooper, dude. Uh, having to put up with us for an hour. <laughs> Please put in some like really one of those crappy, like, like uh, free use, like, like clapping sounds in here, please. We can just do it right now. Here, you want to just. Yay! 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 The Dark Times is filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> I'm going to overlay those on each other a few times and Good. see how it sounds. <laughs> I hope it sounds fucking horrible. Um, yeah, seriously. Uh, big shout out to Little Literalist, also known as Stephen C. Me, personally, I'm Stephen P. Don't don't get that twisted. Um, some of you are out there getting it twisted. A lot of you think we're the same person. We're not. I don't have that much time in my day. Holy shit. Can you imagine? Stephen... How can people support the show other than listening to it? Obviously, yeah, listening is the easiest way to support us. And let me tell you, we appreciate every single listen. It's it's amazing that so many people are out there still listening to us, and we love it. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, because frankly speaking, a lot of time and effort, and therefore you know money goes into the podcast, and we're supported entirely by listeners like you. Uh, you can go on the Patreon. We've got two different tiers, a $5 and a $10 tier. Uh, the Patreon is paramount, uh, primarily a, a tip jar. Um, but if you stay a, uh, a supporter on either of those tiers, you'll receive a complimentary gift uh, for the $5 tier. That's a sticker exclusive to the Patreon. For the $10 tier, that is a sticker and shirt. There's also other goodies on the Patreon, exclusive releases, exclusive episodes, Game mind blowing, mind blowing to me. We've got exclusive episodes, maps, <laughs> handout templates, things to make your jamming better than it already More was. Fun. Yeah, 
Uh, so, so that's, that, those are the ways you can support the show. You can also tell a friend about the show. You can tell us that you told a friend about the show and we'll shout you and your friend out on the show. Tell your table about the show and we'll shout you out and your whole table on the show too. All right. Well, and also since you, you guys probably know that Steven and I are working double time to get these episodes out for you through October since, uh, our, our, our Steve is growing wings and flying away to Japan. He's going to go live with the other yokai and see, uh. <laughs> see what it's like in the big city if i was a yokai i'd want to be like one of the you'd kind. be a kappa that's kind of mean <laughs> what do you you don't kappa, like being a cool like really turtle fu- frog really duck thing up. they're not that fucked you should up. read they're more okay. about them they do fucked up stuff i wanted to be like I wanted- <laughs> name a yokai that doesn't do fucked up stuff steven go um oh that's a good point yeah, yeah. Well, you think about that. We're going to take the rest. Me and the audience, we're going to go back to the show and enjoy the cool stat block I brought this week. So you join us when you're ready, Steven, okay? All right. Well, at least I'll get custody on the weekends. Of the audience? Of, yeah. <laughs> That's what the judge said, at least. <laughs> the podcast judge who we had to pay to <laughs> take our case because he's like, you guys aren't a real podcast. <laughs> And let me tell you, Sam, the co-hosts always lose out. It's rigged against us. <laughs> Let's send you guys back to the show. Steven. What? I remember last week when I was like, I, I know it's hard to remember. It was so long ago. Last week when I said, hey, check out this cool Bessalus step block. Yeah, and, and I hated um, it. Everyone for- fucking hated it. <laughs> I was at hates this stat block Island and everyone was there. In fact, it was so crowded. We couldn't get off. It was, it was like a, it was like a fire festival situation. We were packed in like sardines on that Island, man. I brought my own Dexter Jetster stat block. But first, before I go over that, I have to talk about shell Walker's basilisk, uh, stats. All right. Cool. Species homebrew. Yeah. Uh, converted from the ultimate alien anthology. Thank you so much. Shell Walker. Basilisks get a plus two con and minus two dex. Uh, for those who remember from last week, Isurga Eth's, Bethel- Isurga Eth's Basilisk. Isurga Eth's Basilisk. Can we have a username that's more difficult to pronounce on on a podcast, please? Like, it's, come on. Oh, is oh yeah, Jesus Christ. I thought you meant Shell Walker for a second. but yeah, No, Isurga Eth's. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a fucking cryptocurrency. <laughs> uh Isurga Eth's Basilisk gives the Basilisk minus four decks instead of minus two decks, which is a, a bit of a buff from Shellwalker. Uh we've also got cold resistance plus five, which is a plus five species bonus to fortitude defense to resist extreme cold. This is much simpler rules-wise than have than taking ten in Arctic conditions. Uh, and also <laughs> I already like shells a, a lot better. It's much more in line with the rest of the yeah. uh, rest of the species. Yeah. And also, I think uh, extreme cold is a more general, like, blanket situation than Arctic conditions, personally. Uh, Shellwalker specifies that female basilisks have six arms and thus can wield three two-handed weapons at a time versus the male basilisks having four arms. The Isurga Eth stat block does not mention this sexual dimorphism at all. I didn't even know about it. Is that Legends? Yeah, it's, it is Legends. Oh, In wow. canon, uh, basilisks can only have four arms because we've only seen male basilisks. Okay. And in Legends, it says females can have up to eight arms, which I want to see what that looks like. So like four, <laughs> four to eight arms is what it says? Yeah, okay. four to eight arms. Okay, yeah, cool, that's cool. what it says. Four to eight arms. Shellwalker gave the Basilisks food stores, 
which means they can go without food for twice as long as they normally could for a total number of days equal to twice their constitution score, and go without water for three times the normal for a total number of hours equal to three times their con score. Isurga S Specialist was similar, but it had five times a con score for going without water as opposed to Chellwalker's three. And lastly, Chellwalker's Specialist does not provide skill focus endurance like Orc Tau's variant of the Isurga S Specialist uh, species did. Okay. Is that, did I did clear it up for you, Stephen? Do yeah. you understand the difference? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good. I, I appreciate you you um breaking you, it down. You, you breaking it down. I, I definitely I think Chill Walkers is a little more uh elegant. Ele- yeah, that's the exact word I was looking for. Elegant. Yes. Civilized age. Uh, <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> how deep your pocketbook is. <laughs> it doesn't get old. I love it. it no, it's so the best much. line in that movie. Uh, so here's my Dexter Jetster stat block. CL5, Medium, Besilisk, Soldier 2, Noble 1, Scoundrel 2. Ah, I like For where feats, this is going. Thank you, Stephen. For feats, I've got the Improvised Weapon Mastery feat. Uh, you treat all improvised weapons as simple weapons, and you can use them without penalty and with talents and feats designed for use with simple weapons. You also deal an additional 1d6 points of damage on a successful hit. One sec. I love that we've decided collectively, just as a community, even reaching back to the the older Dexter stat block, that of course he's a chef, therefore he must be good with improvised <laughs> weapons. I used to do hibachi back <laughs> back on Rodia. <laughs> Ooh, Rodia and hibachi, dude, that sounds like disgusting. <laughs> Because, like, Rodians already, like, smell bad, apparently, right? Can you imagine how their cuisine smells? <laughs> God damn it. I don't know if uh, I appreciate that, Sam. You're in a party with a Rodian. Oh, uh, well, you know. <laughs> I didn't say Dev had a good sense of smell. <laughs> what if Rodians smelled fucking hot as hell to Duros and they've never talked about it? <laughs> I do like the idea of, of like, hibachi on Rodia, where it's like, check it out. It's the, the beating... Sweat sack. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like instead of the the heart fried rice heart, it's just like other Rodian organs. <laughs> I don't know why you're making me so squeamish right now. I'm what it's hibachi. What's going on? <laughs> uh, I also gave Dex Banther Rush after successful melee attack against an opponent up to one size category larger than you. You can choose to move that opponent one square in any direction as a free action. Can't ban thrush an opponent that's being grabbed or grappled, and you can't ban thrush your opponent into a solid object or another creature's fighting space. It's just it it is a bread and butter talent. It is oh, it's it, so it's good. just a classic, classic core. You think a dude with four arms ain't gonna move your shit around? Ain't gonna shuffle you around like a deck of cards, brother? <laughs> you got another thing coming, man. <laughs> We're off to a tonight. strong start yeah, no, for today. <laughs> Uh, I also gave Dex Jedi familiarity. Come on. Like, come on. Like, literally, his best friend is a Jedi. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe he's Obi-Wan's best friend. That's what I'm saying. He's <laughs> definitely, like, Obi-Wan is his best friend, but Obi-Wan, like, you know, has a whole life outside of Dex. <laughs> Man, I miss that Obi-Wan fella. <laughs> Once per encounter, when you are targeted or affected by a force power or force talent originating from an ally, you gain one temporary force point, which must be spent before the end of the encounter or it goes away. If the force power or talent damages you or moves you down the condition track, you do not gain the benefit of this feat. I also gave uh, Dex uh, skill focus knowledge galactic lore for the feats, because come on. Great choice. He's got skill focus knowledge galactic lore. Obi-Wan would talents, go to him if he didn't like 
have exactly it. right. Yeah. Like he's not going to him for the food. That's for sure. <laughs> he only orders a Java juice. You want a cup of Java juice? <laughs> yes, please. Why is that uh, whole scene stuck in everyone's head all the time? Such a, maybe just you and me. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about that scene since I saw it for the first time. Like <laughs> the fucking Dark Times echo chamber, just parroting Attack of the Clones scenes back and forth at each other. It's a really weird fucking <laughs> scene. We've been talking about it for like three weeks on the show now. I think. <laughs> okay. As for talents, I gave Dex connections from the lineage talent tree. Uh, you are able to obtain licensed, restricted, military, or illegal equipment without having to pay a licensing fee or endure a background check, provided the total cost of the desired equipment is equal to or less than your character level times 1,000 credits. In addition, when obtaining equipment or services through the black market, you reduce the black market cost multiplier by one. A man of Dex's background, Stephen, he, he knows the ins and outs of the criminal underworld, especially on his home turf of Coruscant. Right, absolutely. And and even though I don't think we explicitly see him do shit like this, it makes perfect sense here. So this stat block, after I made it, I was like, this would be really good in the Dark Times module. That's all I'm going to say. Because mm. remember we talked about Dex being a part of that? We you did, know? we did. Because he's got that whole, in Legends, he's got that whole thing about erased people and stuff like that. Super cool yeah. during like, the Empire era. Um. I also gave Dex the Art of Concealment talent from the Smuggling Talent Tree. Some smugglers are adept at hiding contraband and weapons, even on their person. When making a stealth check to conceal an item, you can take 10, even under pressure. Additionally, you can conceal an item as a swift action. This is the classic, like, man behind the counter, quietly putting the illegal merchandise under the counter without even sweating it. Dex knows how to work his front, especially if you consider in Legends he used to have a bar that was cover for running guns. Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. I did no, my that, research. That buddy. rocks. Yeah. Just don't ask where he's hiding it. <laughs> he's got two hands behind his back holding the gun. <laughs> Could be in his pocketbook. <laughs> oh, that's great. Lastly, I gave Dex the tested in battle talent from the veteran talent tree. When you catch a second wind, you move plus two steps on the condition track in addition to regaining hit points. Dex is a hardy guy, being an ex-fighter from a world where everyone is just as hardy as he is. Perfect. This uh, this you. might be a contender for the wiki, Sam. There isn't one for, for Dexter on there yet. Oh, baby. Well, this one's for sure going in the Dark Times module. I don't know about you. All righty. I still haven't put... You know, remember we did a Lon Sleeves Bagano, and oh, yeah. everyone was like, you should put that on the wiki. I haven't done it. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> One of these days we we'll have, do it. We, have uh, we gotta have minutes. enough to have a dark time section on the wiki. That's what I'm saying. That's uh, the dark we'll times see. podcast I think section. That, I think you that know. could happen. It could be a category. Yeah. Oh well, thank you. I'm I'm glad you like the stat block, Steven. It's damn good. It's really, really thank nice. Thank you. I hit all the all the key things about his character and I, I found a few there were some other feats or talents where I was like, that would be cool, but for a kind of lower level you know, CL5, I felt, was appropriate. Oh, yeah. No, he's 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 experienced, but he's not like an active heroic character. Does precisely. that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I also uh, it's not here in our notes, but I, I did make him 52. So he's like middle aged for okay, a basilisk, which does like I think people, a lot of min maxers especially tend to go away from the age slider on mm-hmm. this in this game, which, as we know, gives a minus one to strength dex and con and then a plus one to int whiz and charisma for like every category older than adult 
So this is still, and honestly, he only has like two minuses and they're not that bad. Let me pull it up really quick. I will point out though, some min-maxers are absolutely aware of and fond of the age penalties. I've seen some crazy shit. I've done some crazy shit. Remember oh, you that mean like just like force, like force, uh... Yeah, like, you can do some nuts wizards like stuff. Crazy noble stats. Yeah, that would be cool. Cool. Uh, that oh yeah, that banker. That yeah, moon I made a, banker. You. I did. made a stupid corporate agent once that was as ancient as he possibly could be. <laughs> Even with the minuses, he only had a minus one in dex, and then everything oh. else was at le- was like at least plus zero. And he makes up for it with his dex tur. Yeah, he's got. T- <laughs> Crazy, he's got a minus one in Dex, minus two in Dex from being a best list, but his name's fucking Dex, so I'm just confused. <laughs> uh, Steven, do you have any trivia for us this week? I do. Uh, a New Hope was originally rated G, suitable for general audiences, of course, for those of you unfamiliar, by the MPAA. which it's suitable tw- for George Lucas, Steven, actually. <laughs> oh, right, of course. Rated G for George Lucas. <laughs> George feared this would be a kiss of death as it would brand the movie as merely for children. 20th Century Fox arranged a second screening for the MPA ratings board in front of a preview audience. A child screamed and burst into <laughs> tears watching the scene where Darth Vader kills Captain Antilles. The ratings board agreed to a PG rating. Oh, dude, George, you you fucking traumatized the kid. <laughs> How does that work? How does like, you know, like they just let families come in? And yeah, I was gonna say, who are the chill like they're like who are the children who are like uh you know this movie may be for kids, it may not be. We got to find out. Let's let's find some kids, shove them. How in the do you compensate? Room and- yeah, how do you compensate children? Do you buy them like gumballs and shit? Yeah, like, exactly. Like a lollipop would probably make up for the whole <laughs> for the whole ordeal. Can you imagine being like five years old, Darth Vader on? Like fucking scary ass voice, and like yeah. the a dude starts floating and like dying instantly no, no, in front uh, of him. Sam, you you misremember. That's not a force choke kill. That's the he one just Vader picks him up <laughs> by the throat and crushes his neck and then throws him. That's brutal as hell, it's man. It's Vader's what first on screen kill. He, he he doesn't even use the force. It's awesome, but yeah, I can understand why that kid didn't like it. What if that kid's listening right now and he emails us? He's like, I was that kid. It was me. I, I was that Star kid. Wars. I, love <laughs> I hate Star Wars now, but I love your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, if that was the case, Stephen, then he would he would know by heart that the Dark Times of Saga Edition podcast is produced and edited by me, Sam, and that Stephen's my co-host, and that you, the listener, can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your show. Tell someone about the show and tell us you told them about the show. And tell your table about the show and tell us you told your whole table about the show. And we'll shout everyone out on the show for you. Steven. Yes. Do you have a quote for us this week? Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. Or, or producer. <laughs> Good producer at your side, kid. Aw. Nice voice, kid. Don't get cocky. <laughs> uh, Han really just drives home the, the how effective a misinformation campaign from an empire can be, right? I mean... <laughs> Like, dude grew up in the Clone Wars. <laughs> like, Jedi were around. 
hokey religions, ancient weapons, dude. The weapons are they are ancient, but they were still around when you were like twelve. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He he grew up in like the dirt, right? He was probably just like I don't know. He probably didn't regard Jedi much. They certainly didn't regard him. We we know how Jedi treat poor children. <laughs> Are you here to free us from Lady Proxima? Oh, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> fuck no. You seen these criminals? <laughs> Good night, everybody.